It's just after 8 o'clock in the big city. It's time for America's favorite Las Vegas sports show, Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson. <laughs> yeah. What up? Party's going on. Duh. Going to a party. Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson is brought to you by Hannah Shea Boyle and Rappaputi. Trial lawyers that get results. Visit PSBRLaw.com. Steiner's Pub, a true Nevada-style pub with three locations. One on Cheyenne, one on Buffalo, and one on the south end of the Strip. Steiner's Pub. We love this place. Preventative Diagnostic Center. Book your non-invasive scan today for peace of mind. Visit pdcenterlv.com. Rob Ritchie, Farmers Insurance, 702-335-5744. 702-335-5744. So get ready, because Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson starts now. Ah, KT on a Wednesday night, baby. You know it's hump day, and you know KT's rocking and rolling. It is going to be a fun show. Corey Allen going to join me in just a couple minutes. Former wide receiver, Georgia Bulldogs. Going to talk some SEC football. Mark Lawrence under the weather. So Mark going to miss tonight. He'll be back next Wednesday, and we'll pick it up with the MAC, Mid-American Conference. You can hear it's getting a little crazy over here at Steiner's Pub. Wednesday nights are a great time to be at one of the three Steiner's Pub locations. Great time to break up the week and get in here for some great food, some great sports action. Only one game still going, Major League Baseball. We've got it. Seattle at home against Minnesota. Get you all the scores a little bit later. Uh, Let me see what else we got. Okay, so... Let's go and get you some scores real quick. But remember, Steiner's Pubs, all three of them, 8168 Las Vegas Boulevard South. That's the one in between South Point and Mandalay Bay. Then on the west side, the original, in their 25th year, 8410 West Cheyenne. And then right here, 1750 North Buffalo at Vegas Drive. That's where KT is every Wednesday night. 15 years been here, and uh, I love the food. It's outstanding. Only a time for the soup, because I was running a little late today. Chicken enchilada, homemade soup, outstanding. Great stuff. Uh, Chicago Bill hanging in here. Uh, Bill, uh, Doug and Linda, regulars. I mean, so many regulars here on Wednesday nights. Brady Cannon has just made it in. Brady lives pretty close to this location, so he always takes in a lot of sports action here. But he's as good as they get as far as golf. And you know he's always here. Anytime there's a major, he will go out of his way to make sure he stops in at Steiner's Pub and uh, has a little pre-show meal. And then he'll join me. We'll go over the Open. Brady and I always call it the British Open. Starts up later tonight, like early morning, West Coast time. So going to get into that. And BK can get you some plays. So if you have your account open, you'll be able to get down on some of the matchups and whatnot. Real quick, uh, Major League Baseball, the only game going, Minnesota leads Seattle 3-1. to one. That is top seven. And like I told you, everything else is final. Two games in the WNBA, all the rest of Major League Baseball. And there's a big change, a big shift in the AL East. We'll talk about that. I'll do that with my producer in hour number two. After BK finishes up, producer Mark Hoke in his glory. And we've got some major overnights to get to as well. But right now, I want to welcome in my good pal, Corey Allen. This guy... He's in, his, he's in his glory right now because the last two years, his Georgia Bulldogs, his alma mater, have taken care of business. Them dogs under Kirby Smart. Now, they need to clean up the, uh, the driving. I, I, I mean, I'm hoping that Corey Allen has his Uber and Lyft license so he can start transporting those Georgia Bulldog players around 
Athens and wherever they're going uh, throughout the state of Georgia. But other than that, it has been just unbelievable time to be a Bulldog fan. Uh, Kirby Smart, of course, Saban, that rivalry, and now Georgia has surpassed Alabama as the team to beat in college football. Without further ado, I welcome him. You can follow him on Twitter at UGAWR, so UGA, University of Georgia wide receiver, 80. That was his number back in the day, early 90s, scored that first overtime touchdown in beating Auburn in SEC playoff history, or sudden death history, I should say. And uh, always a pleasure to have my good pal for the inside info on the Southeastern Conference. Corey Allen, how the heck are you? I'm good, Ken. I appreciate you having me. I look forward to eventually getting down there to the pub. It sounds like you guys are... That sounds like a championship environment, to be honest with you, Ken. That sounds like what my Bulldogs have experienced here over the course of the last two seasons. And uh, truth be told, you speak correctly. We do have a few issues that we want to clean up internally. I was glad to hear Kirby Smart speak to that at ACC Media Days. But right now, our focus is toward the season, making sure our team is healthy, making sure each position is ready to compete. And that's the temperature in every uh, school here in the Southeastern Conference. Corey, the annihilation of TCU, but the game before that against Ohio State, Bulldogs looked like they were in a lot of trouble. They found a way to get it done. That had to be one of those games, those classics as we call them, that you can go back and you could go, man, I thought it was done. I thought we weren't going to get to that championship game. But once they got there, did you feel confident that they were going to dismantle TCU? Maybe not the way they did, but did you feel that they were by far the better team going into that game because TCU took advantage of Michigan mistakes and ended up getting a close victory in that other semifinal game? I'll be honest with you, Ken. No one anticipated what we got. No one anticipated what we saw. We all want to pretend like hindsight is twenty twenty. But in reality, we felt like TCU might be much more formidable. Uh, no team that makes it to the championship game has an easy road. Yes, they did have a few breaks go their way, but we wanted to compete. We expected to compete hard for four quarters, and that's what the team did. Unfortunately, uh, the mistakes began to overwhelm TCU, and I think our depth, uh, the Bulldogs' depth, was really what played out in the end because whether it was first string or third string, we really got the same result. So kudos to the preparation. Uh, I think TCU was just uh, an off day, but when you have it on that big of a stage, no one's going to forget it. Stetson Bennett, have any idea that that kid was going to be able to step up the way he did in the last two seasons? I mean, this guy's not a flashy, you know, stat guy. He's not a guy that when you look at him, you go, oh, he instills fear in me as a defensive player. No, he's a quarterback, though, that knows how to win. And we've seen quarterbacks like that in other school, at other schools. Alabama had several uh, that were able to just win football games. Good solid, college, good, solid college quarterbacks. Tim Tebow, another one there for Florida. But Stetson Bennett, he means a lot to that university, and he'll be welcomed back at every alumni party. There's no question about it. But to get you guys those last two championship victories, I would feel that he has uh, definitely implanted his name there in Georgia lore. High quality, high character guy. A kid who came in uh, not highly regarded especially when you look at the fact that he had to walk on. So to see uh, his tenacity, the stick to yes, he will go down in bulldog lore, but he did not have to carry that weight on his own. Stetson had 21 other guys 
and most of those guys are also playing on Sunday as we look forward. So it was a total team effort. He's been the leader for the last two seasons. We'll never take that from him. And his performance in big games is to be unquestioned. So we really appreciate what Stetson did. Coming back was a big key for the University of Georgia's continued success. And right now, Carson Beck is going to have to take the reins, and that's going to be led by not only Kirby Smart but a new OC and a former quarterback of mine and Mike Bobo. All right, so Marcus Razemi Jackson. Know nothing about that wide receiver. I do know Lad McConkey, Dominic Lovett coming over. I mean, there are some players. They lost some players as well, some people uh, transferring, some players transferring out, maybe not getting enough playing time. But that's what happens when you're you know, sitting on top of the rock. There's players that want to be part of it, not just a part of it that get the ring, but they want to be able to play. And when you have five stars, and we've seen Alabama do it for year after year after year, you've got you know, two or three five stars sitting behind starters, and all of a sudden these guys start realizing, you know what, maybe I can be – you know, a bigger fish in a smaller pond and get some NIL money before, you know, I potentially test the NFL draft. So I think you're going to see a lot more of that. It's hard to keep all those five-star players happy, especially the ones that are sitting third string. That's that's true. You're, you're completely right. You know, there's no way to, ha- to have everyone on the roster get completely what they want. I think uh, the one thing that these kids understand, most of them when they come to Athens, is you're going to have to be ready to compete, whether you're at the quarterback position, the wide receiver spot, the linebacker, all 22 positions will have competition all season long. And that's the bonus of having these four and five star recruits come in in droves. But it also is imperative because the season that we anticipate to play is going to be more than 13 games. So we're going to need to be able to develop these players and that's going to take time whether it's your first year or your third year, what we do know is in this league, you only need one good year to make it to the NFL. There you go. No question about it. Corey Allen, our guest here, SportsX Radio on a Wednesday night. You can hear things are hopping over here at Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo, 1-3 in the Vegas Valley to serve you. Corey, talk to me a little bit about this team. You mentioned Carson Beck, a front runner right now to replace Stetson Bennett. But Brock Bowers, I mean, you're not going to find a better tight end in college football. And this guy is probably going to be double covered a lot this year. I know McConkie is a pretty uh, viable receiver. Love it as well. So they'll test the ropes. But I would think that Bowers is just a guy that's going to demand double coverage. He's good enough. He's also a pretty good blocker. What about the offense for Georgia? What do you expect from Carson Beck and Kendall Milton in the backfield? You've got DeWan Edwards, Branson Robinson. Talk to me about the offense for the Bulldogs. All the tools are there. The wide receiver core has been completely retooled, and that's really one of the strengths when you look at the influx of transfer receivers from the portal and the return of a guy like Ladd McConkey. Pass catchers are not going to be a shortage. We also have a strong tight end room, which, as you mentioned, is going to continue to be led by the number one tight end in the country and Brock Bowers. And I feel like the University of Georgia is going to do everything we can to be versatile on offense and make sure we protect those pass catchers and our new quarterback in Carson Beck because we have a strong offensive line and a and a backfield that continues to get healthy, a transfer from University of Tennessee that's going to bring a little bit more depth. But right now when you look at a guy like Branson Robinson, uh, Kendall Milton, uh, the return of a Dejon Edwards, Mike Bobo will have options on the offensive side of the ball. His job is going to be to make sure Carson Beck – develops as a passer whether he does that early or late in the season is really 
uh, the only question because Georgia's schedule, when you look across the country, is not the toughest on paper. But just as Kirby Smart said, you're more than welcome to come play it. What we have to do is get through these games. I think Mike Bobo is going to be very uh, poignant in how he – uh, progresses with Carson Beck, making sure he understands the offense because what Georgia has to do is get better from week to week. But the tools are there, whether we want to run the ball consistently or even try to air it out with the tight ends and the wide receivers we have on the perimeter. All right, let's jump over to the defense before we take our first break of our number one. Corey Allen zoning in on his alma mater, Georgia, the Bulldogs, two-time defending champions. They are loaded offensively. The defense, I mean, The Philadelphia Eagles are grabbing just about everybody with a G on their helmet from the collegiate level as they grab those Georgia Bulldogs left and right. But talk to me a little bit about the guys coming back who are going to be the leaders of this defense going forward in 2023-2024. I'm really looking at a guy like Starks. Our secondary, when you look at Starks and Lassiter, we've got some returning players, Bullard, that are really going to be impactful. My linebacking core, I've got two of the best in the nation, when you look at uh, Dumas Johnson and the core that surrounds him, we really run about four deep at the linebacker position. And then uh, on my defensive front, uh, a lot of experience, a lot of names that you might not be familiar with when I call a, a stack house uh, that, that's going to really apply that pressure directly up the middle or Marvin Jones Jr. We've got a lot of experienced talent that has played in some key games, played in championship games played against high-level competition, and I think that's going to be – that will continue to be the standard in Athens. I do feel like the offense is going to take the lead for this team, but this defense is going to mature quickly, primarily because the strength is in the secondary, which is probably different from years past. But I do feel like the pass rush on the edge will be something that the defense is, uh, is going to lean on as we go against these offenses in the SEC. Corey, last thing on the Georgia Bulldogs. What about special teams? Because they seem to have pretty good special teams as well, and you got to kind of have, you know, something, you know, in every department if you're going to truly try and get that three-peat. I know uh, USC came close for me back in the early part of this century. Didn't get it done, that old Vince Young rolling right, and all I was sitting there and just saying, whatever you do, if we lose this game, I'm okay with it. Just don't let Vince roll to his right. Lo and behold, I see him rolling to his right, and I'm just like, are you freaking kidding me? The only way I knew that we had an opportunity to lose there at the end but what do you expect from Georgia? Do you truly expect this team to be back in the Final Four, in the playoff mix? The tools are there. Uh, special teams, offense, defense. This team is built for a championship run all over again. It's really going to be based on what the coaches roll out and how these players execute. I think everything is in the cupboard. The schedule leads us to feeling like there will be success. So, yes, to answer that question directly, Georgia is in a position to make it back to the college football playoff and compete for a title again, but it all has to play out on the field, and that's what we're looking forward to. There you go. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back. We're going to look at some of the teams that may challenge Georgia in the SEC. Most of them, I feel, will be on the other half of the SEC in the West. So naturally, only one of those teams can make it to that championship game against the Bulldogs. Oh, by the way, 
This is a, a real big SEC news flash. Alabama and Georgia will actually play a regular season game next year. Alert the media. When does that happen? Once every 10 years? Lo and behold, it'll happen next year. But we're going to talk with Corey Allen. Who will challenge from the East? Is anybody good enough? Is Tennessee a team that can be uh, there without Hendon Hooker? Can they come back this year and make it a tough road to hoe there. What about Missouri? Remember Mizzou? They were the team that nearly knocked off Georgia last year. That was in Columbia. What about them Gators? Are they going to be any good? Kentucky and Mark Stoops. And then we'll shift over to that Alabama team. And there's some good teams. you got Arkansas with K.J. Jefferson. He's back along with Rocket Sanders. What a good combination. And then Jaden Daniels and LSU. Kiffin squad at Ole Miss. We know they're going to score points. And then the team that I feel is the dark horse, Old Alabama knows who I'm talking about because they got to go to College Station talking about Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M. A lot of those recruits last year that he had such a great recruiting class, they are going to be sophomores this year, and that Aggie team is going to be dangerous. We'll talk with Corey Allen about it next segment, SportsX Radio, 101.5 FM Dawn, streaming live on that Odyssey app. If you haven't downloaded it, it is a worldwide app. It is free, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Mark Hoke takes us to break. Mark Hoke Show, Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. to 10 a.m. You like professional wrestling, you will love the Mark Hoke Show. He is my producer. He is a happy man tonight because his Orioles are taking care of business. We're going to talk all about that in hour number two. And remember, Brady Cannon will break down the old British Open coming up in about 25 minutes. We are live from Vegas, live at Steiner's Pub. Keep it right here. I'm Ken Thompson. You're listening to SportsX Radio. on a Wednesday night, KT rocking and rolling, Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo. Come on out and see me. Nice big group of uh, seven right there, another table coming in. And again, Brady Cannon will talk British Open with me in a little bit. And then hour number two, uh, Brady will finish up on the uh, British Open. And then my good producer, Mark Hoke, and I are going to get into uh, the baseball overnights and talk a little big series coming up with the Orioles at Tampa starting tomorrow, first of four in Tampa should be a lot of fun but right now Corey Allen is with me Corey in the eastern half of the SEC Tennessee Joe Milton the third looks like a pretty nice quarterback got to see glimpses of him you have Brew McCoy on the wide up score White still coming back Keaton a pretty good receiver Jalen Wright Jabari Small so some decent guys in the backfield solid offensive line defense could be pretty good what about the Vols any chance that the Vols going to be able to push Georgia this year they do play Georgia at home, November 18th there in Knoxville, they just have to get there to where they're still hanging around in the East within a game. I think Tennessee is going to be a formidable a formidable opponent because they have Milton at the quarterback. Uh, Hypo understands what needs to happen when you look at facing an opponent like a defending national champion. He knows that they played in big games. That team has experienced a lot here in the last three to four years, I'll say, uh, as far as understanding the environment and trying to prepare themselves to move forward as they take these next steps. I think it'll be a competitive game, especially in the first half, but the depth that Georgia brings will continue to separate them and a team like Tennessee and even a team like Florida. Uh, Those historically have been some more competitive matchups, so it's going to be imperative that those teams, if they want to compete, they're going to have to step up early because if they can't break through and shake Georgia's tree in the first half, 
then Georgia can get comfortable pretty easy, and I think that might be what separates them. But Joe Milton is their best bet at Tennessee. They do have a strong passer in that regard. And they do have Aaron Beasley, senior linebacker, has one more year, so he's their leader, their signal caller on the defensive side of the ball, middle linebacker. He will be the leader there for Hypel on the defensive side of the ball. Talk to me a little bit about South Carolina, because I'm a big fan of Spencer Rattler, and he made me some good money last year at the end of the year when they were able to get two wins against Tennessee and then against Clemson. That was big time for South Carolina. And I'm looking at this team and thinking, you know what, nobody really looking at Spencer Rattler coming back this year because they just don't think that that supporting cast is going to be real good. But what about South Carolina? Still can't take them for granted. Can't take them for granted, but it's really going to be based on what can Spencer Rattler do and who is the real Rattler. Uh, We've seen him perform well at Oklahoma. We've seen him have decent games at South Carolina. But right now, because that talent is a little bit uh, behind schedule, because they can't seem to keep all the players once they do develop them, they're losing a lot to the portal. South Carolina can be a destination, but they need the consistency, especially from the quarterback position. Right now, Spencer Rattler is their best bet. He's their only option for success this season because he has all the tools. He can throw the ball outside of the pocket. He can even impact the game with his legs. So I feel like he's going to have to have a dynamic year. Third down will continue to be extremely important for Spencer Rattler because he's got to get his team out of those long yardage situations. Uh, I think it's also going to be big when you look at their home schedule. They've got to be competitive in all of the home games in order to set up any opportunities for success as they look at a daunting SEC schedule with their crossover matchups. So I think South Carolina's got an uphill battle, but quarterback play can really turn your team around. It only takes one year, as we mentioned before. Spencer Rattler is probably their best option, but they've got to find ways to build some level of success around him so that he's not the lone ranger trying to lead that team through the east which is a gauntlet no doubt about it and they open with north carolina that game in charlotte against may and the guys and then Furman before they go in between the hedges for their sec opener in athens will not be easy talk to me a little bit about kentucky because we know devin leary is a heck of a quarterback ray davis also coming over at running back so they've got some key players mark stoop squad on the offensive side of the ball defense they're always pretty good what about kentucky Stoops did a good job going in the portal. I mean, he's a smart guy. He understands offense. He also understands how to attack these teams in the Eastern Conference because he's he's consistently been competitive. Uh, Right now, not enough playmakers. Uh, I do feel like they, uh, they, they did a good job to try to solidify the quarterback position, but the holes on defense are going to be the biggest problem. I'm looking at that Kentucky linebacker core, which ordinarily has been, uh, has been one of the strengths of the team. I think right now they're looking for depth on the defensive side, especially uh, in that front seven, and that might be a struggle because if any of these teams in the East, which are all loaded with running backs, if any of them can get up on Kentucky, it'll be really tough for them to stop that ball from rolling downhill. Sports X Radio Monday through Friday, 8 to 10 here on the left coast. 11 to 1 a.m. on the East Coast. That's where Corey Allen is joining us from over there in the state of Georgia, former Bulldog wide receiver back in the day. Very solid player and a guy that's been coming on SportsX Radio the last several years. Met him through Joe Lisi, our good pal, who does a great job in his own right covering football and all the sports throughout the year. Florida Gators, we know how good that team could be. They get Graham Mertz coming over from Wisconsin. They have Jack Miller back as well. Miller was the team, was the guy last year that engineered 
that skeleton crew that they brought out to the Las Vegas Bowl and got drilled by Oregon State. Uh, but Montrell Johnson, pretty good running back there that comes over from Louisiana Lafayette. That, of course, where Billy Napier came from last year in his first season there in Gainesville. What about the Gators? Do they present a problem at all? We know it's a rivalry, but this Florida Gators team, I'm just wondering how much they've slipped as far as personnel or what type of job has Napier done to get this team ready to compete in the East of the SEC this season? I tell you what, if they could combine their team with South Carolina, it would be tough because they've got the opposite <laughs> problem. Florida's yeah. really strong on defense. They're really they're, they're going to be competitive because that defense is going to find ways to keep them in games. That offense has got to be dynamic. They have to find ways to keep that defense rested because otherwise teams will expose your defense if they're on the field too long. Florida's strength is going to be the defensive side of the ball. They've got a lot to look at on that defensive line. The problem is how consistent can they be on offense? So it's extremely opposite of South Carolina, ironically. But when I look at the, the Gators, they're going to have to find ways to score points and allow that defense some chances to rest because they can be extremely explosive on defense. That pass rush has always been consistent. And the athletes, uh, that's never been a shortcoming for the University of Florida. All right, so we know Brady Cook is back at quarterback for Missouri, but Jake Garcia also transfers from Miami, so we'll see who ends up getting that battle won there in Columbia. But Mizzou being really tested, Georgia, last year, that was one that you look back, and there's always that one close call. That was really the only close call for Georgia during the regular season. What about Mizzou? What about this team? Can they, uh, you know, can they, can they hang in there? We know Drinkwood's a pretty good coach. Uh, has the team ready for you know some of the games, other games they just don't seem like they're uh, focused enough. But last year they did scare the dogs a little bit in the regular season. I think Drinkwood can only hope to be competitive. Right now he doesn't have enough horses in the stable to be uh, on the same field with an Alabama, with a Georgia, you know, even with an LSU. It's going to be tough for Missouri this year. Um, I just don't see it. They're a wild card because when you go into that stadium, especially uh, into their home environment, it can be extremely tough. They do have some some excitement in the building, but uh, the depth is what I really struggle with. When I look at Missouri, the trench work is not what it used to be. They came into the SEC as a very strong team on the defensive side. They consistently have had defensive ends go uh, early in the NFL rounds, but Right now, I just don't see those impact players. And without that and the ability to score points, you know, that's why they're in the hole they're in right now as far as struggling to be competitive on a consistent basis and playing against these uh, teams in the East. They're really going to have to find ways to stop the run, which has been a struggle for Missouri. All right, Cor, we may not get into all the teams from the West, but let's look at some of the front runners. What about LSU? Jaden Daniels comes back. We know that Brian Kelly did a heck of a job after losing that tough opener against Florida State. The naysayers were out and saying, oh, this couldn't be a good move. Lo and behold, LSU, they answered the bell last year, and they were a lot of fun to watch. They did lose that game against A&M, and that was costly there at the end. But talk to me a little bit about LSU. What will Brian Kelly bring back to Baton Rouge this season? Well, he's got one of the best defensive players in the country and a sophomore, and he's also got one of the best offensive players in his quarterback, uh, even uh, neighbors at wide receiver. Brian Kelly really does have his best opportunity to, again, beat Alabama and find himself in Atlanta, but that's just going to require consistency on both sides of the ball. LSU is 
more than talented enough. But, again, their biggest struggle is what LSU will you get from week to week? Is it going to be the defensive juggernaut? Is it going to be the offensive juggernaut? Or will it be an unfocused LSU team that comes out and allows the team that's not as good to stay in the game and be competitive with them? LSU needs to play strong ball all season long. I think their season opener is going to be imperative for them to take that lead and to try to make sure they establish who they are and be that way just as they did in 2019 when the Joe Burrow team started out one way and they finished the same. Uh, You have to put that pedal to the metal. I think that's the best formula for Louisiana, especially when you look at the fact that they have one of the better quarterbacks in the league in the country. Uh, They've got to get Jaden Daniels going, and that's Brian Kelly's best option. There you go. And Jaden Daniels putting on 15 pounds of muscle. He's ready to roll wow. in that game against Florida State. Yes, September 3rd. Looking forward to that one is Mike Norvell and the Knowles. They have a pretty solid squad as well. Arkansas, K.J. Jefferson's back. Rocket Sanders as well. That's a great one-two punch right there. I like Sam Pittman as a coach as well. Uh, talk to me about Arkansas because they are a dangerous dark horse in the West. As long as you have K.J. Jefferson and Rocket Sanders, you got a shot. Unfortunately, I think KJ's overrated. I'm a big fan of Sam Pittman. I love Rocket Sanders, but when I look at what happened last year, we expected Arkansas to be competitive, and I didn't get that. I think they, again, are going to have to take a look in the mirror and make sure they understand who they are and try to be consistent as well. And it's really all on the quarterback's shoulders. They're going to give KJ Jefferson excuse me, KJ Jefferson, every opportunity to be successful, but it's really up to him to take those reins and use his teammates without putting that burden on his shoulders. Because when he tries to do too much, when he tries to go above and beyond, that's when he usually has made mistakes from what I've seen. He's trying to throw the ball across his body on a leap, on a long pass cross route uh, against a defense that's going to be rated high every week. I think if he can stay within himself, I think if the coach can keep the quarterback under control and allow him to matriculate through the season slowly. I think Arkansas does have the players, especially on the offensive side. Uh, Defense, I'm still taking a close look at. I know they lost a lot of the linebacker position uh, this past season. Replacing those guys, I don't know if recruiting is going to give them the full complement that they need, uh, but they do have Jefferson and Sanders. They can be explosive on offense if they can find enough pass rush on the defensive side of the ball. Arkansas can be competitive because they have to find ways to get sacks. They're not a team that's going to stop you and keep you under 100 yards every game. Yeah, and they've got a gauntlet at LSU, then A&M on that neutral field at Jerry's house, at Ole Miss, at Alabama. My goodness, that is a tough four games there for Sam Pittman. Auburn, they bring Hugh Freeze in. He said he's probably going to go with a two-quarterback system. Got Peyton Thorne transferring over from Michigan State, and Robbie Ashford, the kid that transferred from Oregon, is back, and a good, solid dual threat. Thorne probably throws it a little better. What about Auburn? Anything that Hugh Freeze can bring to this Tiger program to restore order there after Brian Harzen kind of dropped the reins? Awareness, because Hugh Freeze has shown me something here in the last month that I didn't expect to see, and that's humility. Understanding that he was once one of the better play callers in this league, but to go out and recruit another guy to take the reins so that he can step back and be the head coach and take care of what that entire team needs probably going to be the best thing for Auburn. He can spread himself out a little bit thinner. He can focus on making sure he gets the recruits in there to execute. And then at the same time, he can do the things outside of play calling that this team is going to need, making sure they stay focused, making sure they pay attention to detail. Auburn has never lacked in talent, very similar to Florida. Uh, But it's really more about execution and finding a great combination of players 
that are going to believe in the system because they've got a schedule every year that's going to be a top 10 situation. So I feel like Hugh Freeze has really humbled himself, uh, which was surprising to me. Uh, and, and I'm excited to see what that brings to Auburn because I feel like if he can bring any consistency, understanding that he's got to make sure his team performs and is prepared every week, uh, I think that will bode well for the Tigers. Uh, rotating that quarterback is always going to be a tough vote for me, but at this juncture, um, if no one has separated themselves, you've got to go with your best option, and that might be it. All right, Corey, let's uh, wrap it up here. The last uh, couple teams, get them in there quick. Texas A&M, this is a team that I like, and I like them to beat Alabama, the reason being it's College Station, and I just have a feeling. I mean, they nearly won again in Tuscaloosa last year after beating Bama in College Station the year before. I just think Jimbo Fisher's got a squad now that has a lot of top-tier recruits. I know a lot of people are saying, hey, maybe they don't have enough. But what about A&M? Because to me, they are a dark horse that's good enough to win the West. I know they've got to take care of business, and they've got a tough schedule. They do get BAM at home, but they've got some tough ones at Ole Miss. Uh, they also have to play at Miami of Florida, but they're at Tennessee as well. But on the western half of things, on the, the western side of things, that last game at LSU, and that would be payback for the Bayou Bengals based on last year's drubbing at College Station that the Aggies put on LSU. But I really think this team has an opportunity to at least get to that LSU game with a chance to still potentially win the West. I think it's a three-team race with A&M, LSU, and Alabama. I agree. Uh, Jimbo's seat has been high ever since he got to College Station, but they can't afford to turn him over, to, to be honest with you. I think he does have enough talent. There was a lot that walked out of the door last year because of what uh, some considered a few mishaps in recruiting, but uh, the talent is in the building. I'm just anxious to see how Texas A&M builds on what they've done with that talent as far as getting it there. I mean, realistically, Texas and Oklahoma are coming. A&M, they've got to get this ball rolling ASAP. This is the year. This is their only opportunity to get it done before these teams enter the league and make it more difficult for them. Um, but I don't know if they can get it done. I, I, I have both LSU and Alabama in front of A&M primarily because I don't feel like Jimbo still has his thumb on that team. All right, so talk to me real quick about Nick Saban. You've got Jason Milrow, probably the guy. Ty Simpson also battling Buckner transfers over from Notre Dame. That's the quarterback position. Uh, We know Brooks is a solid receiver. Bond is pretty good. Benson transfers over. Defensive side of the ball, my goodness. uh, They've got some players, there's no doubt. But this team, to me, has taken a step back. And and they're in the shadow of Georgia right now. What about the Tide? Because you know it's driving... Saban crazy that he didn't even get to that championship game last year. Do you expect Bama to beat out LSU? Talk to me real quick about the tie, and I'll let you out of here, Corey Allen. I expect Alabama to be extremely competitive, if not the best team in the West. I don't think there's going to be many teams that are going to stay within a two-touchdown margin. But when they play against LSU, that's when the rubber meets the road, as usual, because I think that quarterback job is going to be what separates the two. I've got LSU over Alabama when uh, when it's all said and done, but it won't be because Saban hasn't tried. Alabama still has four- and five-star recruits. No team is going to walk through them. LSU just so happens to have enough of the mix to be competitive and enough swag to go in there and actually believe they can handle the business. So I look forward to how it all plays out, but if I had to put my money on it, Ken, I am going to go with the Bayou Bengals this year on paper, knowing that the Crimson Tide won't appreciate it. 
There you go. That's right. You want to get under the skin of saving a little bit more. Corey Allen, appreciate you staying up late on a Wednesday night, and you know we'll do it again as we get closer. I've got all the games of the year, all that stuff. We'll get into the spreads and all that as we get closer to that first week of college football. But always appreciate you, Corey Allen. You're outstanding, not only as a player, but you're even a better person, and that's why I love you, man. You're awesome, and I can't wait to get you out here to Vegas. God bless, my man. You have a great week. We look forward to talking SEC football throughout the year with Corey Allen. Go dogs. There you go. I knew he was going to end it on that. Take a break. Come back. Wrap up hour number one. Brady Cannon in the house at Las Vegas Golfer. Great SEC football talk from a guy that played SEC football, my good pal Corey Allen. We'll be right back live from Vegas, live at Steiner's Pub, 101.5 FM Dawn, streaming live on that Odyssey app. Keep it right here, A-U-D-A-C-Y. That's how you spell it. If you haven't downloaded that app, do it now. Live from Vegas, coming right back. Kenny Loggins coming back, hour number one. Got about seven or eight minutes to go here, hour number one. And my good pal Brady Cannon is going to finish out hour number one with me and stay for another segment, hour number two. And we're going to talk the Open. And BK and I always call it the British Open. I know they pulled that from the actual title. But we're going to be back in England, Brady Cannon. And I'm thinking 1 o'clock a.m. but or 1.30 a.m. in the morning. And I'm like, all right, I'll probably crash out. And But then I forgot, wait. That was East Coast time I was looking at. We're literally, a, you know, less than an hour and a half away, about an hour and 45 minutes away from teeing off with Richie Ramsey and uh, Brandon Grace. They'll be the first two to tee off along with Matthew Jordan. That's the first threesome going out there. But BK, always great to have you. You always take time out for SportsX Radio in person 99% of the time right here at Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo. And we look at the majors. Anytime there's a major, I can count on Brady Cannon to give some time to SportsX Radio. I'm usually your last of 37 interviews for the day <laughs> on Wednesday. BK, great to see you first off. And I know you've been going around your little uh, Grateful Dead routine there, going to Telluride and, and your little vacation spots and you and JT the Brick hanging out. And I just love you, BK. It's always great to see you in person. How are you, my man? Oh, I am uh, fired up, my friend, and good to see you as well. And, and you're right, less than a couple hours away from... Uh, that first tee ball being hit at Royal Liverpool. Matthew Jordan in that first group, by the way, uh, is a member at this golf course. Uh, and I know our friend Jeff Sherman from the Westgate got him at 1,000-1 to one to win it. Took a little flyer with Matthew Jordan. Uh, kind of a home game there of sorts for, for Jordan uh, being a member at this club. But, you know, Ken, we, we last saw this golf course in 2006 and in 2014. In 2006... Tiger Woods won the British Open here at Hoy Lake. Uh, it was a very firm and dry and fast golf course uh, in 2006. He won that with a score of 18 under par. In 2014, Rory McIlroy won it at the same golf course. It was much softer and greener. They had gotten more rain that year. Rick, or Rory hit more drivers off the tee than Tiger did. Tiger only hit one driver off the tee 
all week. And then this year in 2023, I think we're going to get maybe even a softer golf course than what we saw in 2014. The sun was shining today, is expected to shine tomorrow. I think scores will be pretty low tomorrow. I think you'll have some guys go pretty low on Thursday in the opening round. And then some more rain is supposed to come over the weekend. Not treacherous rain, light rain is what they're calling it. You never know with the weather, seaside like that. You know, you can have a storm roll through at a moment's notice. But it looks like the wind is going to be pretty standard, you know, 15 to 18, maybe 20 miles an hour, that typical seaside breeze, and then some light rain mixed in that I think will keep this golf course soft. Uh, I I think the main strategy here, Ken, is it's going to be very different from last year when we were at St. Andrews, the old course, uh, which has wide open fairways and all kinds of room. This one has uh, very narrow fairways. There's all kinds of fairway bunkers that are very penal. If you find one of those, you're probably almost guaranteed a bunker. There's a lot of OB off the tee. And then the rough is not too bad, but if you miss, if you miss wayward of the rough, then you're in that knee-high wispy stuff. And you know how uh, you and I love watching the Open Championship and you get in that gorse and that heather, and uh, that is all too familiar here and not too far off the, free, uh, off the fairway at Royal Liverpool. So the off-the-tee strategy, I think, is going to be paramount because you can get into a lot of trouble. It's different from the usual PGA Tour week-to-week stuff where these guys just try and hit it as far as they can, you know, stuff in a wedge and make a birdie putt. This is about being more defensive, more strategic, um, and how are you going to survive, you know, the trouble that lurks out there off of the tee. From there, you're going to have a lot of long irons, mid and long irons into these greens, anywhere from 175 to over 200 yards. Smaller greens, pretty flat. Uh, Shouldn't be too hard to hold these greens. A lot of runoff areas. Uh, The bunkers I mentioned are treacherous. Um, It's going to be a wonderful test of golf, but I think with the softer conditions and the wind not getting too crazy, you know, again, the weather in these types of locations can turn on a dime, but if the weather forecast holds, and and that includes some light rain to keep this golf course soft, I think you're going to get to about 16 or 17 under for a winner, maybe even more. Wow, that is unbelievable to have that type of score on the British Open. And we'll get into the actual field on the other side. But BK, real quick, do they have this particular course? Does it have the, the moat-type sand traps to where, like, if you get in one of those, you could just about, you know, for KT, I would just open up a blanket and just stay there for a week on the beach because those things sometimes when I see them over in Europe it's tough to get out of some of those suckers yeah the the pot bunkers are everywhere uh, in the fairway and around the greens especially on the fairway um, there, there, obviously there's no trees on the course and you don't have that typical sand dune mounding that we see at a lot of the British Open courses this course is very flat it is right on the ocean and the 17th hole, I think, is only about 40 feet from the beach. It's the closest, uh, it's the closest hole to the beach there, the 17th hole. So um, it's going to be beautiful to look at right there on the water. Uh, I mentioned the heather and the, the wispy grass, uh, you know, in the rough off of the fairways and, and those pot bunkers that you talk about. It's really going to have a little bit of everything that we're used to seeing over across the pond when they play the British Open. There you go. He is Brady Cannon at Las Vegas Golfer. You can follow him, remember, 10.35 p.m. Pacific time. That's when they tee off. We'll talk more about it when we come back, how you can follow along 
I'm looking forward to taking in those first few hours because I probably won't get to bed till one. Got to be at Circa for that Mountain West Media Day, but we'll talk all about that. And again, Friday over at Resorts World, the Pac-12 Media Day. And then, of course, we've got Vegas Golden Knights and Raiders softball game from Las Vegas Ballpark. What a great week it is for sports here in Vegas. I'm Ken Thompson with Brady Cannon, live from Steiner's Pub, 1750 North Buffalo, 101.5 FMK Dawn, streaming live on that Odyssey app. We'll be right back, hour number two, right around the corner. Keep it right here. from halftime. It's just after 9 o'clock in the big city. Time to continue America's favorite Las Vegas sports show. Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson. <laughs> yeah. What up? Party's going on. Duh. Going to a party. Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson is brought to you by Hannah Shea Boyle and Rappaputi. Trial lawyers that get results. Visit PSBRLaw.com. Steiner's Pub, a true Nevada-style pub with three locations. One on Cheyenne, one on Buffalo, and one on the south end of the Strip. Steiner's Pub. We love this place. Preventative Diagnostic Center. Book your non-invasive scan today. Day for peace of mind. Visit pdcenterlv.com. Rob Ritchie, Farmers Insurance, 702-335-5744. 702-335-5744. So get ready because Sports X Radio with Ken Thompson starts now. now. Ah, yes, hour number two. Brady Cannon still in the house. Follow him on Twitter, at Las Vegas Golfer, KT and BK. Used to be BK's golf, man, way back when. Brady Cannon, what are you doing with yourself now as far as uh, golf? Do you get out there and play much? Are you able to still get out on the links? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Just played last Sunday in uh, cool 116-degree weather. Uh, Played at the Las Vegas Country Club where they have a lot of shade. So hit the ball and run for the shade. But, uh, no, had a good time, and I'm going to play again uh, this weekend. So, yeah, getting out there on the links. Best right. time of the year to play. What about Parker? Have you ran into the Crooklyn ball? I played with Noah. Did played you? played with Noah last Sunday, yeah. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. All right, because I, I know that's he was telling me. That's all that guy me, does is golf. Well, that's what he was saying. He said, I, I, KT, I'm there. I, I'm catching Brady Cannon. I go, <laughs> I, he goes, well, no, Brady doesn't golf much anymore. But handicap-wise, he goes, oh, I'm getting better. How did he do last week? He played all right. He, 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 it was four of us. Uh, he and his buddy were playing a game, and his buddy took him to the cleaners pretty good. Nice. Uh, but I think Noah's still up overall. So, uh, But the guy got back, got some money back uh, on Sunday. Got some skins back from yeah. old Crooklyn Bala. All right, well, we'll be getting him back on SportsX Radio real soon. All right, so we are at Royal Liverpool Golf Club. Uh, we're teeing off in an hour and 30 minutes. The first threesome going to tee off. Now let's get into the nuts and bolts because there's people listening that have accounts all over here in Vegas and 34 states. You can get wagers down. There's people that listen to SportsX Radio all across the world on the Odyssey Worldwide app. Brady Cannon, clue us in. Who are we looking at? Who are we going to make some money on? Because I know there's always golfers that you'll take some lower odds, one some mid odds, and then you'll have a couple long shots. 
Well, I tell you, in the segment prior, we talked a little bit about the golf course where I think you're going to need to be really good and accurate off the tee. There's a lot of trouble off the tee. You're also going to have to be very good with your iron shots, mid to long irons. You're going to be faced with a lot of those. And then, of course, you're going to have to be creative around the greens. As far as the correlated courses that I used, uh, some other links designs, the Renaissance Club where they just played the Scottish Open, uh, Muirfield where they played the Open in 2013 when Mickelson won, uh, Royal Troon where they played in 2016 when Henrik Stenson outdueled Mickelson in a phenomenal match on Sunday, and then 2019 Royal Portrush where Shane Lowry won. Gentleman by the name of Martin Ebert did a renovation uh, of the course of Royal Liverpool in 2020. And so it's going to be a little bit different from what we saw in 2014. But Ebert also did a renovation of Port Rush. So could be some similarities there. And then as far as stateside, I see similarities with the PGA National where they play the Honda Classic and also TPC Sawgrass where they play the Players' Championship. And most of the similarities can are in the way you have to play and strategize those golf courses. Both of those courses have a lot of trouble, and they're not your typical PGA Tour course where you can just attack it. You have to be very careful. The margin for error is very small, and so you're going to see a lot of crossover. In fact, in 2006, you had in the top five in the leaderboard, you had Tiger and Sergio Garcia and Jim Furyk. Sergio and Tiger have both won the Players' Championship at Sawgrass, and Furyk has finished runner-up. In 2014, you had four out of the top five players on the leaderboard that had won the Players' Championship. Rory, Ricky Fowler finished second, Sergio, Adam Scott finished top five, who's also won the Players, and Jim Furyk again. A lot of crossover with the Players' Championship and Royal Liverpool. So I'll start with Scotty Scheffler, who, by the way, is your defending Players' Champion. He won it back in March. Um, 14 straight tournaments in which he's gained two or more strokes off the tee, five straight in which he's gained six or more strokes on approach, and he's finished top five, Kenny, in seven straight starts. The man is just amazing as far as a ball-striking clinic that he's putting on right now. If the putter is even lukewarm this week, he should probably win it. Tyrrell Hatton at 27-1. to if you go back to 2015, Tyrrell Hatton has played 113 rounds of golf on Lynx golf courses. And over that time, he has gained 1.7 strokes on the field. He's got a fourth place finish at the Honda. He was second this year to Scotty Scheffler at the Players' Championship. He also comes off of a sixth place finish at the Scottish Open. He finished sixth at Portrush in 2019, and he was fifth at Royal Troon in 2016. Uh, Colin Morikawa, you know, just an accuracy specialist. He's fifth on the PGA Tour in driving accuracy. He won the Open in 2021 at uh, Royal St. George's. His last 36 rounds, he is third in this field for strokes gained approach. And, of course, he comes off of that playoff loss at the Rocket Mortgage, losing to Ricky Fowler. Yeah, don't remind me. I had Colin Morikawa in that one. Ah, well, yeah. I had Morikawa earlier this season at Kapalua when he had a nine-shot lead and let that get away to John Rahm. So we both had our uh, bad beats with Colin Morikawa. But I'll tell you what, and that's kind of been the season for him. He's been a little bit up and down like that. But if you look at what he's done in the majors, finished 10th at the Masters, 26th at the PGA, and just 14th at the U.S. Open, and then that playoff loss at the Rocket Mortgage. So I think he's really rounding into form where he could be peaking at the exact right time. Uh, Justin Rose, now here we get into kind of the mid-range prices. Justin Rose at 60-1. to 1. 
We know, Kenny, it's not uncommon for 40-year-old guys to win this championship. In fact, five out of the last ten have been 35 years or older. Justin Rose... Okay, when's the last time Rose won a tournament? Has he won over he in won Europe? He won Pebble Beach this year. Oh, that's right. That's and that's right. a factor. Eight out of the last mm. ten Open winners have had a win in the season that they've won that Claret Jug. So Justin Rose checks that box. He's got a win this year at Pebble Beach, finished sixth at the Players' Championship. He's got three top tens in his career at the Honda Classic. This will be his 20th Open Championship. He finished 23rd at Royal Liverpool in 14, 22nd in Troon in 2016, and 20th at Portrush in 2019. He is a tremendous mid and long iron player. He's very accurate off the tee. He might be the best sand player in the entire field this week, and he's a great putter. He really does everything well that you need to do at this particular golf course. I wouldn't be surprised if he played well this week at all. All right, so so far we've got Hatton. What did you get him, about 30? 27 on Hatton. 27, okay. Scotty Scheffler at plus 750. Okay, Morikawa? Morikawa at 30. And Justin Rose? Justin Rose at 60. Okay, which is where he is now. So those four, that's what I got so far. And then uh, Adam Scott, I got at 80. And you can find him a little higher, I believe, maybe even closer to 100. Um, but this is kind of a similar play to Justin Rose. Adam Scott playing in his 23rd Open Championship. He's had five top ten finishes at the British Open throughout his career, including a runner-up in 2012. I mentioned he's got two top ten finishes at this golf course at both uh, the 20, uh, 2006 at Hoy Lake when Tiger won and also 2014 when Rory won. He's won the Players' Championship. He's won the Honda Classic. Over the last 36 rounds, he's 15th in this field for strokes gained off the tee and also on par fours measuring 450 to 500 yards. So I think Adam Scott, you know, is an Australian that knows how to play in the wind, knows how to play the Open Championship, is another elder statesman that I think is going to show up this week. And then Ricky Fowler. I got Fowler at 80 to 1. Okay, I bought, I bet him prior to the U.S. Open. Now, he has been chopped down to about 25 to 1. I still don't think it's a bad play if you can find anything better than 25. 25 or better, I still think, is a fair number. Um, I got a great number, but he still has to win. It doesn't matter if he doesn't cash that ticket. Uh, I mentioned he was a runner-up to McElroy here at Hoy Lake in 2014. He was sixth at Port Drush in 2019. He's won the Scottish Open before. He's, he's won the Players' Championship. He's won the Honda Classic, and he's also finished runner-up in both those tournaments. Since 2015, 66 rounds of golf he's played on Lynx golf courses, and he's gained 1.58 strokes on the field over that time. Uh, over the last 36 rounds, he's sixth in this field for strokes gained approach, and he's second for strokes gained around the green. Now into the longer shots, a couple of them here. At 90-1, to 1, Hideki Matsuyama. Finished 39th here in uh, 2014. He's got two top 20 finishes in the Open, including a sixth-place finish at Mirfield in 2013, one of our correlated courses. Three times he has finished top 10 at the Players' Championship, over the last 36 rounds, Matsuyama is 7th in this field for strokes gained approach, 15th for strokes gained around the green, 4th in hole proximity from 175 to 200, 14th from 200 yards or better, and 4th in bogey avoidance. So those are all great statistics where he really pops that you're going to need around this golf course. And then finally, we go to triple digits here. Siwoo Kim at 165-1. to 1. 
I mentioned eight of the last ten Open winners had a win earlier that season. Siwoo Kim has a win earlier this year, back in January at the Sony Open in Hawaii. He's got two top ten finishes at the Players' Championship, including a win. Twelfth in this field for strokes gained off the tee over the last 36 rounds. 14th on the par fours at 450 to 500 yards. And 28th in strokes gained approach. So there's your grade eight, your elite eight on the card this week for the British Open at Hoy Lake. All right, BK. So Hatton, I'm just wondering, because I, I don't see a lot of Europeans. You got Justin Rose in there. Uh, I got Rose and Hatton. Yeah, this, uh, I, Americans I you, have got first, Fowler. The first time that I saw you not take Tommy Fleetwood, I know his odds are not that great right now. Maybe maybe that's uh, part of the factor. But He's having some, a great year. I wouldn't be surprised if he showed up again, but you know you can't you can't pick them all. Right, exactly. Uh, any Anybody that's also played very competitive golf this year, like a, like a Denny McCarthy or a Wyndham Clark, uh, that you can still get nice odds, or is this golf course just not tailored for their game? I, I think both of those guys could go well. Uh, Denny McCarthy's had a great year. He's a fantastic putter. Now, put, uh, putting is, like we talked about, it's kind of mitigated at the British Open because even bad putters can perform well on these slow greens. They have to keep the greens slow because if you do get some crazy wind and the greens are too fast, the ball's going to roll right off the edge. Uh, so that's that's a standard for British Open golf courses. They have to keep those greens slow. And we've seen awful putters do tremendously well in the British Open. Henrik Stenson, you know, Sergio Garcia. So, you know, the, the strength of Denny McCarthy's game probably is his putting and you know, I don't know if that's really going to be the best strength to have this week. Wyndham Clark does everything very well. He, he's very long off the tee, and that could get him into some trouble if he finds some of those fairway bunkers or the OB or, or the, the knee-high fescue rough. Um, but what I worry about with Wyndham Clark probably most of all is the fact that he just won a major championship, the first ever of his career, winning the U.S. Open. Now he's about to tee it up at another major as well, and all of a sudden he's part of that club. Uh, that's a lot to deal with, and I, and I don't know if he's going to be able to handle that. He might be a good guy to go against in a first-round matchup. Right out of the gate, he might be pretty nervous on that first tee or, or maybe a little overconfident having just won a major. So that first day could be a little squirrely for, for Wyndham Clark. If he's able to survive day one, he should be able to make it all the way through. Brady, what's happened to a uh, solid European golfer for many years, Henrik Stenson? Well, he's just gotten older. You know, he, he won he won the British Open. You watched it with me. I, I think it was maybe the greatest round of golf that I've ever seen, a battle between two guys, Mickelson and Stenson, just like Frazier and Ali just trading haymakers. That was absolutely stunning that day uh, at Royal Troon in 2016. But, you know, he was 40 years old at that time, and, and that was kind of like his last hurrah. Uh, he has since gone to the Live Tour. Um I don't know if he still has it in him as far as winning. He, he may never win again, to be honest with you. What about somebody like Danny Willett? What's happened to Danny Willett? And I look, uh, you know, his odds at the Westgate Superbook went from 200 to 1 to 600 to 1. I was wondering, is there any type of injury or maybe he's coming off or, or is his game just plummeted that badly? Well, I, I believe it was 24, no, maybe 2015 or 2016, I can't recall, uh, that he won the Masters. And um, he really kind of fell off the map after that. Uh, you know, I, I think it was he was he was a shocker to have won that tournament. I think he shocked himself, and uh, you know he celebrated and 
and, and you know the game went south for a while. It's shown some signs in the last couple of years, but it's never really turned returned to major championship form. Um, he's done okay here and there, uh, and, and he may win a tournament on the European Tour or, or maybe even on the PGA Tour. But but no, he's not a guy that has really shown the ability to to do what he did that day at Augusta. Anybody that's I know just just for fun that you would think you know has played decent golf like an Adam Schenk. Uh, yeah. Shank has played some good golf this year. Sure. I mean, just throw somebody in there that's you know two hundred fifty to one or, or three hundred to one. Some of those guys, and then we're going to go. Well, I uh, mentioned uh, I mentioned Siwoo Kim. I think Siwoo right. Kim. You know, I got him at one sixty five. I've seen him down as low as one twenty five. I think you know anything one twenty five or higher, uh, he's probably worth a little bit of a flyer. Uh, Ryan Fox is a very good. Uh, I believe he's a New Zealander. You can find him at triple digits. I believe uh, Brian Harmon is a guy, uh, you know, an American player out of the University of Georgia that always seems to contend. Taylor Gooch is a guy that a, a lot of uh, people like uh, from the Live Tour. You can probably find him at around 100 to one. Gary Woodland uh, in triple digits is a guy that is tremendous off the tee. I mean, basically he does everything well except for the except for putting. And, and we talked about it. Putting is not as important at this golf tournament. Um, let's see. Sepp Strzok has been playing well. Emiliano Grillo has been playing well. Adrian Moronk has been playing well. Uh, so, you know, there's certainly some names out there. Padraig Harrington at, at 250 to 1. Maybe he's going to grab a third cleric jug. This guy's been playing great. I think he's made the cut in every major this year, and he just had a top 20 finish uh, at the uh, Scottish Open last week. I thought he was actually going to contend for a win, um, but Paddy Harrington's been playing very well. There's a blast from the past for you. There you go. And Westgate Superbook also has best senior finish. Harrington is actually the favorite at 2-1. to one. Richard Bland. I think he Lucas wins that, and I think that's a good bet you can make for sure. There you go. All right, so you got that. It is bet number 95121 at the Westgate Superbook on Paddy Harrington. Uh, I love just uh, the different things that Jeff Sherman and the guys put out over there. Uh, as I look at the live golfers, and they've got odds on who will be the best finisher as far as the live golfers, and Cameron Smith is a slightly favorite over Brooks Kepka and then DJ following after that. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd actually go down to player number three there on the odds board and take Dustin Johnson. Uh, Cameron Smith, of course, is your defending champion, uh, won the Open last year at St. Andrews, but Cameron Smith does very well on golf courses that have wider fairways. He won at Kapalua, he's been tremendous at the Masters, and of course he won at St. Andrews. Now, you could also argue he won the Players' Championship too, and we've talked about the correlation there with uh, Hoy Lake. Um, but I think with the premium on accuracy that is going to be needed this week and, and the defensive nature off the tee that you're going to have to employ, Cameron Smith, he can get a little wayward off the tee with the tee ball, and, and he could get, him, uh, could get himself into some trouble. Dustin Johnson has one of the best track records at the British Open of this entire field. He's played well in the British Open his entire career. He's had some near misses. I think he really likes this style of golf. And, uh, you know, he just finished top 10 at the U.S. Open, the Los Angeles Country Club, which is another kind of lynxious-type style course. So DJ is the guy I'd go with right there All in right. that market. Then you've got guys, and I know you played Fowler, uh, but to find somebody like Fowler who's playing and uh, solid golf over the last couple months, really in good form, 
You get him plus money to finish in the top 20 at the Westgate Superbook. That's so tempting, you know, when I look at a guy like him or Xander Shoffley, although sometimes Shoffley just is so frustrating. I mean, he'll have three good rounds in that one round that takes him out of the top 20. Uh, but is there any value to just playing somebody there if it's plus money? Because I know Scheffler and McElroy are both minus money to be in the top 20, John Rahm as well. Where do you draw the line as far as top 20? Well, I'll tell you what, and I failed to mention that. Every one of my outright guys that I played, I also played to finish top 20. Okay, except for Scotty Scheffler, I played him to finish top 10. Now, his price was minus 130 to finish top 10. I didn't mind laying that. Now, he has seven straight tournaments where he's finished top five. I could have I gotten top five. I could have gotten plus money for a top five finish. But I went ahead and gave myself a little more leeway and went top 10. I didn't want to go top 20 with Scheffler because you're talking like minus 250 or something like that. Now, it probably it's probably a good bet. It's probably not going to go lower than top 20. But I, I went, uh, you know, I, I split the difference there and went top 10 on Scotty. And then the rest of my outright guys, I also played them for top 20 finish. All right, so Rory coming off the win in Scotland, you don't like him minus 110 to finish top 10? I don't think it's a bad play at all. I, I, I'd be a little surprised if he didn't finish top 10. Um, I, I think Rory's going to be just fine. Uh, he's in great form right now. The problem with winning last week and the fact that he won his last major here at this same course, now that spotlight just gets even bigger. Uh, the way he won last week in heroic fashion, birdieing the final two holes to come back from behind and nip Bobby Mack, uh, the Scotsman, trying to win there in his home country. Um, so now that, that expectation has increased for Rory McIlroy, everything has been drummed up, including the pressure. Uh, but I still expect him to play well. I, 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 I would be shocked if he missed the cut. I would be a little bit surprised if he finished outside the top 20. I think, I think Scotty Scheffler and Rory, the guys at the top of the odds board, you can probably take your pick. One of them might win this thing. All right, last one I want to get in because this guy's been playing outstanding golf as well, and you get him 2-1 to one to finish in the top 10, and that's Victor Hovland. Yeah. Uh, you know, he didn't land on my card this week. Um, I wonder if he's got one more great tournament in him so far this year because he's been so hot and so close. He started out, you know, as the first-round leader for the Masters. Uh, he you know, showed up at the PGA Championship huge. I had him there. I, I had Brooks Kepka and Victor Hovland for the PGA Championship, which was great because I was in a rocking chair for that final round as they were the two guys in the lead just dueling it out there down the stretch, and eventually Kepka got the victory. Um, and then, of course, he won the Memorial in a playoff in pretty dramatic fashion there. Um, and then, you know, he, he, he was a little bit off the boil for the U.S. Open, and I wonder if he will be again or if he's going to bounce back. I just don't know. He certainly has all the tools. Um, again, we talk about the putting and the short game being, you know, neutralized here a little bit. Not so much on the chipping, but more so on the putting. And Victor Hovland has improved a great deal on his chipping, but it's still a weak part of his game. Uh, I, I just don't, you know, I, like I say, I landed on him for the PGA, nearly cashed that ticket. I thought he was a perfect type of player for that golf tournament. I don't know if he is for this one. Great stuff from Brady Cannon at Las Vegas Golfer. Doesn't get much better than that. Old BK, man. 
the only guy I didn't see you take, and I got about 30 seconds here, is Shane Lowry. That's another guy that you used to always play. I played him last week uh, for the Scottish Open. He cashed the top 20 finish for me. Uh, that was uh, as far as he would go, and I left him off the card this week. I do have... I'll give you some plays here real quick. I've got four head-to-head matchups. Thorbjorn Olesen at minus 120 over Rasmus Hoygaard. Siwoo Kim at minus 120 over Sahith Thagala. Justin Rose at plus 117 over Matt Fitzpatrick. Xander Shoffley over Shane Lowry. And then three guys for first-round leader. And first-round leader, you can truly start your day with this. It'll uh, end up about 7 a.m. on the West Coast at the end of the first round. Xander Shoffley at 35-1, to 1, Jordan Spieth at 40-1, to 1, and Hideki Matsuyama at 66-1 to 1 to be your leader after round one on Thursday. God, Brady, that is great information, my man. Always appreciate you. You are the best in the business. There's no question about it. You've been doing it for a long time. You've been playing it, but you've been handicapping it, and you've been giving out just outstanding information. Outside of At Las Vegas Golfer, how can people read your stuff? Yeah, I write a couple articles per week for the PGA Tour. If you just go to PGATour.com, they have a betting division there across the top on the menu called Golf Bet. You'll find my work there. Uh, four times a week, I appear on Sports Grid, Sirius XM Radio, Channel 159. And then I also have my own podcast every week uh, that I host with uh, Matt Humans and a number of other golf handicappers. Uh, we kind of have a rotating guest host chair, uh, and that is the Heat Strokes Podcast. You can uh, find that on my Twitter handle, at Las Vegas Golfer. Uh, I keep you up to date on everything that I'm doing throughout the week in the world of golf. There you go. He is Brady Cannon. We went long this segment. We'll shorten up the next one. We've got some great music coming back. My good pal Mark Hoke going to play that Orioles anthem in its entirety. We've never done it. It is a longer anthem than I thought. But the Orioles moving into first place today ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays, who have been up on that perch nonstop. They do open a four-game set in Tampa starting tomorrow. I'll be going over the overnights with Mark Hoke. Going to finish up the show. We've got another couple segments coming up. But much appreciation to Brady Cannon and, of course, Corey Allen, SEC Talk, hour number one. BK, you're the best, man. Talk to you soon. Thanks for having me, Ken. I'm going to go home. They tee off in an hour. There you go. Great stuff. Live from Vegas, live at Steiner's Pub. It is SportsX Radio, 101.5 FMK Dawn, streaming live on that Odyssey app worldwide. We'll be right back. Something magic happens. Every time you go, you make the magic happen. The magic of Orioles baseball when the game is close and the yokes are hot. There's a thundering roar from 34 to give it all they got. And you never know who's gonna hear the call.
Nothing could be more exciting Nothing could be more fun There's a love affair Between you and the team You're the reason we win, 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 win And you know what the magic There you go, baby. I told Mark Hoke, if they get into first place, you can play the entire anthem. I never heard it past that first 45 seconds, but they got there today. Now, they're only percentage points ahead of Tampa Bay, who they open a four-game series with tomorrow in Tampa. Mark Hoke, I know you have to be happy. I mean, proud of this team. They're ahead of schedule, according to what most of the fan base thought. They thought they'd be competitive. You and I both said 79 or 79 and a half, whatever the win total was, that that was much too low. We knew they were going to fit. We felt strong anyway. We didn't know, but we felt strongly that they were going to finish above 500 and have an opportunity to make the postseason. And as I saw this season starting to develop, I kind of felt they're pretty good. But you still were Leary, Toronto, New York Yankees. Yankees lose again tonight. They fall further into the cellar. And Toronto gets that. I mean, uh, Toronto loses as well to San Diego. But the Orioles, 58 wins, 37 losses. So they still have two less wins than Tampa, but they have two less losses. And that's most important. Sitting there with a 6-11 winning percentage, five percentage points ahead of the Tampa Bay Rays, they are actually deadlocked as far as if you looked at even up as far as uh, in the standings. But percentage points, and again, those two games in the loss column, that is huge. Toronto five and a half back, Boston eight back, and the Yankees are nine games off the pace. How excited are you now that when you open the standings up and you look and you're like, my God, here we are, 95 games into the season, only 67 left, and my team's 21 games over 500 in first place in the AL East. I'll be more excited when they take three out of four this weekend, Ken. Then, I, then I'm going to feel pretty good. I, the, the series is kind of setting up to be a split, but uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the, the team's really balanced. A lot of the young guys are coming up and playing well. Gunnar Henderson got that slow start. He's banging the ball out of the ballpark. Adley's playing great. I mean, you know, they're you know, they're sitting right there. I, you know, I really feel like they may be just one arm away. And uh, now they're looking good. Looking good. All right. So now as we talked about, and Kripsky, Wayne Kripsky will be in studio tomorrow along with Andy Isco, and we'll talk some baseball. Of course, I'll be at Mountain West Media Day, so we'll get that in as well. And then, of course, a true Friday football fiasco. Arthur DeCesar, by the way, Westgate Superbook, will be joining on Friday. And Dan Saley also supposed to stop in and we'll talk some ACC football but I'm going to be talking Mountain West as well and then I'll be at the Pac-12 media day at Resorts World on Friday looking forward to that so there'll be lots of college football talk but a lot of baseball talk tomorrow night and throughout the rest of the year Mets are playing pretty good ball as is San Diego but both those teams really buried themselves big time Uh, Phillies a loss tonight as we uh, look at the scores but that Oriole win today eight to five 
that's why I looked at it last night, and I was like, I know they're underdogs, and I know Urias has pitched well for the Dodgers, the lefty, and Kramer hasn't been the most consistent. But there was something about it when you said, I don't want to get swept at home, but I could see the Dodgers getting it done with the better pitcher in the matchup. But the Orioles were like, we're not going to have it. You are not going to sweep us at home in Camden Yards. And I think their mindset was set to go and was very strong today. Even though they gave up two to the Dodgers in the first, they bounced right back with four in the bottom and never really looked back. Yeah, very resilient team, Ken. They have been, it just seems like anytime there's been kind of a twinge of trouble, they've righted the ship pretty fast. And, you know, the, the teams over the past few years just haven't been able to do that. And, uh, you know, and certainly, you know, the Dodgers look pretty good. But, you know, of course, the last night, you know, the night before the Orioles, probably the worst game they played all year. Three errors and Tyler Wells had a terrible start. I mean, it was just an absolute disaster yesterday. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they play with a lot of pride, Ken. I mean, that's, you know, there was a poll done that who's the most uh, favorable team in baseball in terms of who you like. And, you know, it's Baltimore. And uh, I was, that one kind of shocked me. But there's a lot to like about this team. And, Ken... Keep in mind, Mullins just went on the DL again, and they've got four relievers still on the DL. Four of them. This is going to be interesting. By the way, they made a deal today. I don't know if you saw that or not. Did you, did did you catch not. that? I did not. They traded uh, for Shintaro Fujinami, who is actually Otani's high school rival in Japan. They got him from the A's today, who's... Yeah, he, Stats aren't the best, but uh, fires near a hundred mile per hour fastball, and uh, they're bringing him in. They trade him for a minor leaguer. So the Orioles, uh, you know, add a little Japanese flavor to the team. There you go. All right. So talk to me a little bit about some of these guys. And you talked about Mullins going down for the second time. Hicks stepping in today went two for four, had an RBI hitting at two forty one. I thought that was a good pickup. You thought that was good insurance earlier in the year, but you talked about Gunnar Henderson, and here he is again. You know, getting a key hit today, hitting that home run two forty seven. This was a guy that was mired around one ninety two hundred for a long time early on, but he has really gotten things going. Yeah, he, the young guys are really stepping up, and, and you know, I hate to see a couple of them because. When you look at the how many guys on this team are in their third year or less, it's a ton of them. Like three of the you know now four guys in the starting rotation are in their second or first year, and you know uh, you had Austin Hayes who made the All Star team, and he's one of the top hitters in the American League right now. Uh, Ryan O'Hearn was a big surprise. Kansas City let let him go, and uh, he ended up he's ended up hitting three hundred for the Orioles, uh, stepping in for Mountcastle who had a vertigo issue and just, you know, was stuck around 225, even though he got that hot start. But, you know, he's been playing great. Adley Rushman, the catcher, obviously, has been doing well. Santander had a slow start, and he's just been bombing the ball. I mean, it's, you know, Jordan Westberg has come up and hit well. Now, this is, man, I'll tell you, it's, everything's falling into place for these guys. I mean, I'm like I said, I'm trying not to get too hyped up and sound like a fanboy, but... Man, they are sitting pretty right now, Ken, and there's there's a room to improve. 
Yeah, no doubt about it. And Kramer, again, didn't have his best stuff, didn't even get the win because he couldn't get through the fifth inning. Four and two-thirds, only gave up four hits, but five runs all earned, walked four. And that is key. Only struck out one, gave up two home runs. So not his best stuff. But again, the team able to battle back. Again, that resiliency you talked about to where they're like, we are not getting swept in this game. And to hit Urias the way they did, to get eight runs all earned on eight hits, they got a couple walks as well. Pretty impressive stuff. Yeah, and you know, the thing that's changed about the Orioles since uh, Mike Elias took over as GM is, one, they really stressed batter discipline. They were striking out so much over the past few years. And as these guys have gone through the minors and they've trained some of these guys, they've really cut that down a lot. They're not swinging at bad pitches. And with the pitchers, they've really broken down their mechanics and spin rates and every little saber metric they can find to improve uh, improve their starting rotation and you know to bring in some great fireballers to close games out. I mean, Elias has done an unbelievable job just revamping everything they did. They were really old school in what they were doing, and that has changed completely. And I'm get, I'm going to be interested to see what this Fujinama does because his stats are horrible. But they wanted him, and they I'm sure they wanted him for a reason. So that'll be interesting. And, boy, wouldn't it be fun to see the high school rivals reunite in Baltimore? <laughs> Just yeah, saying. that'd be crazy. Yeah, there you go. Well, Doval, 30 saves for the Giants. Diaz, 27 for the Reds. But the American League, the two leaders, Felix Batista, your guy, and Jordan Romano from Toronto. But Batista, a guy that has really stepped up, and he's had a couple shaky ninth innings, let a couple things saves get away, but overall, this guy has been nails, and I know you have to feel really confident, you know, about the closing part of that bullpen, because last year you trade away your closer, and a lot of people thinking like, oh man, maybe they shouldn't have made that trade, but it's worked out pretty well for you. Yeah, and, you know, the, the interesting part about the that deal uh, was when they brought in Cano, and Cano has turned out to be this amazing setup guy. He's been pitching awesome all year long. But like I said, the Orioles just have, you know, have Dylan Tate and Michael Gibbons and all these guys that were supposed to be the other back enders and they've been out for most of the year. So they're they're still trying to settle that bullpen in a little bit. And boy, I'll tell you, if they can if they lock down from seven to nine innings, look out, man. I'll tell you. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. We will talk overnights. We'll look at that big series, the four-game set coming up in Tampa tomorrow. The Orioles go to Tampa. Both teams tied for the AL East lead, but again, the Orioles with two less losses. That's where you want to have the advantage in the loss column, and the O's have it right now as they move in front by five percentage points over the Tampa Bay Rays. We'll talk baseball overnights. We'll get you some headlines, and we'll look forward to the Throwback Thursday show with Andy Isco and Wayne Krivsky. Great crowd out here at Steiner's Pub. I know you can hear uh, the background noise throughout the show, but yeah, there's a lot of Ken. people here. I'm they're telling peppy. you, a lot of, a lot of folks here on a Wednesday night, and that's good news for Roger Sachs. But all three Steiner's Pub locations, they are 24-hour establishments. Make sure you're 21 and older to get in there. But a full menu, they've got great food, anything from salmon to chicken piccata to ribs to steak, the great burgers, homemade salads, uh, great soups, 
homemade soups. Just incredible menu here at Steiner's Pub. And they'll replay a lot of the sporting events. Again, right now, just the one game still going. I'll get you all the final scores for Major League Baseball, the two WNBA scores, and then Mark and I will look at tomorrow's overnight lines in Major League Baseball. We are live from Vegas, 101.5 FM Dawn, streaming live on that Odyssey app, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Download it now if you have not. At Mark Hoke Show. Follow Mark that way. Follow at Ken Thompson 87 at SportsX Radio. Live from Vegas. We'll be right back. Smokey Robinson and the Miracles as we wrap things up here at Steiner's Pub. Ken Thompson, producer Mark Hoke. Do not forget about our good friends, Dr. John Pearson Company at the Preventative Diagnostic Center, one of the best hidden gems right here in the Las Vegas Valley. And, of course, you hear about it, SportsX Radio, every single night, Monday through Friday. If you're between the ages of 40 and 72, you're privy to use this scanner, the only scanner of its kind in the region that gives you early detection before signs and symptoms of more than two dozen ailments like heart disease and lung disease. They've got the software now to detect the pericarditis, the myocarditis, which, again, has been prevalent over the last couple years. So check out that heart. They've got that heart CT scan, calcium score special, $125, $600 value per person. Your significant other is absolutely free. So the two of you can get your heart checked out for a total of $125. Then you can find out you can get all your organs checked out. It is absolutely one of the best deals here in the Vegas Valley and gives you that peace of mind that you're looking for. Call the Preventative Diagnostic Center now. You can leave your name and number. They'll get back to you with that free educational consultation. Make sure you let them know Ken Thompson Sports X Radio sent you. And uh, that number, you got the 702 down for Vegas, 534-7900, 534-7900. Again, early detection is key. Get peace of mind. Take charge of your health. Preventative Diagnostic Center, 534-7900. You can check out the website, pdcenterlv.com, pdcenterlv.com. Dr. John Pierce, his crew, they will take great care of you and tell them Ken Thompson sent you. We finish things up here, SportsX Radio. Let me go to that Richie Badge and Finley Toyota out-of-town scoreboard. Major League Baseball gave you that Orioles final. That's really the only one that matters as far as Mark Hope's concerned. And, again, they'll be in Tampa tomorrow. We'll get you that overnight line in just a sec. St. Louis won their fifth in a row, took out Miami 6-4 matinee style. Milwaukee a 5-3 win over Philly. I think Roxy put the uh, whammy on the old Phil's. Uh, last night talking too highly of those Phillies. The uh, Giants finally lose a game, and the Reds finally win one. Reds break a six-game losing streak. Giants seven-game winning streak by the wayside. Three to two, Cincinnati slips past San Fran. Arizona, two in a row over Atlanta. Very impressive. Could have got him plus 220 with Ryan Nelson against Charlie Morton in Atlanta. All of a sudden, the Braves have dropped four in a row. 8-3, Cubbies. They knock off Washington. That game was tied at three, but the Cubs came up big in the bottom of the eighth. Texas, no problem, handing Tampa that 5-1 loss to put the Orioles in first place. How about Oakland, 6-5, behind Waldachuk as they take out Brian Bio and Boston. Could have got the uh, A's plus 205 in that one. Yankees with Rodon. They go down. They get swept by the Angels. 
Angels were a plus 130 at home. Detroit, a 3-2 win. Make Chris win a happy camper. They knock off Kansas City. And Minnesota has finished off Seattle. They double up on Seattle. How about a plus 140 on the Twins? 7-5 interleague play. Pittsburgh, a plus 130 at home at PNC. They knock off Cleveland. Salvaged that last game of the series. Baltimore, we gave you the big score, 8-5 over the Dodgers. Houston, uh, they get the win 4-1 over Colorado. Very low-scoring game at Coors Field. Total 12.5, 4-1 your final there. You Darvish was solid, and I thought Toronto would get him, but Darvish was outstanding. And a uh, slight dog in that game, a plus 114, gets the win against Toronto, 2-0 the final. And then the Mets get another win against the White Sox. Verlander very sharp as the Metropolitans take care of business against Chicago Bills Southsiders. Who are 17 games under 500? Verlander, a minus 210, could have laid the run and a half, didn't have to sweat it. Game stays under. As far as the WNBA, the two games on the docket 82 76, Indiana, two point dog on the road at Washington. They surprised the Mystics, total 158. How about the game hits? 158. You got to be kidding me. 82 76, the final there. And Dallas, a plus seven and a half. What a nice little money line play in New York as they knock off the New York Liberty, 98 to 88. That game flying over the total of 167. Tomorrow, Major League Baseball, early game 9:20 a.m., Arizona at Atlanta. Can the Diamondbacks get another one? Zach Allen, a plus 180 against Strider for Atlanta, who's minus 198.5 your total at the Superbook. Alex Cobb goes for Cincy against Abbott for Cincinnati. It is Cobb minus 124. He's been sharp. Taiwan Walker minus 122 against Corbin Burns for Milwaukee. Nine the total. May have some value there with Burns, but Walker's been pretty consistent this year. Stroman for the Cubbies against Mats. They start a four-game set. The Cardinals in Wrigley to take on the Cubs for four games. Detroit's at KC. Lorenz and KC not decided. No line out as of yet. Lopez for Minnesota. Kirby for Seattle. Kirby minus 138, 7.5 the total. Houston at Oakland. France and Harris. It is France minus 180 for the Strohs. 8.5 your total. Then you've got Blake Snell for San Diego. The lefty's been pitching great. And Bassett's been pretty solid as well for Toronto. It is uh, Snell minus 118. The total is nine. You almost want to look at the under there. And then Kopech goes for the White Sox against Quintana, former White Sox for the New York Mets. Quintana minus 150. I think that's too high. May take a look at the White Sox. Southsiders may be able to salvage one in New York. But the big game of the night, it's actually a 340 Pacific time start. It's Kyle Gibson against Tyler Glasnow. Glasnow minus 175, eight and a half the total at the trop against Baltimore. Mark Hoke, I'm just telling you, there's no way that I'm not going to take the Orioles plus 165 tomorrow. I know Glasnow's sharp, but like Krivsky said, he only goes about four, four and a half, five innings, you know, and uh, very rarely gets, uh, you know, past the fifth inning. So I think there's a good chance that Gibson's going to keep the O's in there the first five, and then the Orioles may be able to take care of business. Yeah, this is one that might determine who wins this series because I, I, I would favor Tampa in this one too, but yeah, it should be a... Should be a fun one, I think. Uh, but boy, I'll tell you what, some some great matchups tomorrow, man. How yeah, about, what about, how about Arizona? that Braves Diamondbacks game? Yeah. Holy cow. I, I mean, and to Talk get about Zach a Allen preview there. Yeah, get Zach Allen plus 180. That's pretty impressive. And Arizona getting those last two against Atlanta, that is impressive in its own right because the Diamondbacks were starting to slip, and you figure the tailspin would continue after the All-Star break because they had to go to Atlanta. But lo and behold, it is the Braves that are tailspinning now. Yeah, I, I got to tell you, I think that 
other than the AL East, the NL West is going to be the most fascinating race to watch here now. Because if the Giants are for real and the Padres can get going and make some noise here, you got four good clubs that are going to be shooting it out over there too. Yeah, there you go. Meanwhile, the Braves have dropped four in a row, as I mentioned. The Marlins have dropped six in a row. Phillies do lose, but still have been six and four in their last ten. Only they're nine and a half behind Atlanta, half game ahead of Miami and the Mets, trying to make a, a, a little, you know, spark there, get it going. They are actually uh, the Mets on a three-game winning streak. But that'll do it on a Wednesday night live at Steiner's tomorrow. Throwback Thursday back at PSBR Law Studios. You know the rules. No drinking and driving. No texting and driving. Most of all, God bless our troops. God bless you. Live from Steiner Sports X Radio, 101.5 FM, Dawn, Streaming live on that Odyssey app. Thanks to Mark Hoke, my producer, and my guest. Talk to you tomorrow night. God bless. Good night, everybody.